episode of Cinema Wheeler Today. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott once again. Hey! Hey! Hey, and we're here uh, to discuss uh, a favorite of Tony's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cult classic. Uh, I think it's a very influential movie, specifically about high school. It's uh, Heathers. Yes. From 1988, and it was directed by Michael Lehman. It was. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's the predecessor to Mean Girls. Oh, no question about that. If, if there's a vibe I got from this movie, it's that it's been... People have stolen from this movie over the course of time. And possibly the Columbine shootings as well. Yeah, unfortunately. Yes. yes. Not to make a joke of it, but um, there's a lot of similarities at the end. Yeah, that's something that's that, was very really, true. that was very striking. Um, this is the first time I've ever really watched Heathers. I've known about it for years. I think I attempted to watch it about 20 years ago when I was in college, it was on, I think, Comedy Central playing, and I was half paying attention to it. I wasn't really paying attention to it. The only thing that uh, that stuck out for me when I was watching it at the time was like, wow, Christian Slater's really aping Jack Nicholson here, <laughs> big time. Uh, and I was like, I'm just waiting for him to say, wait till they get a load of me, or something like that. Which you know he was. He was doing an impression of Jack Nicholson the whole movie. Right, I had read yeah. that uh, subsequently mm-hmm. that that was the case, but uh, uh, Tony, I know this is a big favorite of yours. Yes. I'm kind of curious, how did you come across Heather's for the first time? What was your first impression of it, and how did how did it become one of your favorites? Well, um, so first and foremost, I'm a huge Winona Ryder fan, and I always have been, even since I was a little girl. Um, <clears throat> I didn't see this movie when it initially came out in 1988 because I was three depending on the time of the year, maybe even two. <laughs> but um, uh, I just, I remember in 1990 seeing her in Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice, and I just really liked her. There was an element about her, her style and her aesthetic and the way that she carried herself. It um, really kind of struck a chord with me. I found a kindred spirit. So I always liked her as an actress in general. And I remember one time in high school, I was flipping through the, kind of like you, I was flipping through the station and Heather's was on and it started at the part where it was Heather Chandler's funeral. So it was those kind of satirical funeral scenes and I'd watched it. I was like, oh, Winona Ryder, you know, so I just kind of watched it and um, something ended up happening and I never really finished it. So I didn't really have a fair opinion on the movie because I only saw maybe 30 minutes of it and I caught it halfway in, but I remember liking it at the time. Well, then fast forward, you know, some years later when I was in college, um, I never had cable. I still don't have cable. We did growing up, but um, I've never really been a big TV person. I've always liked movies. And so I kind of have this habit of going to Goodwills and Target and Walmart and rummaging through the DVD, $5 DVD bin to see what's in there. Because I figure, oh, it's cheaper than renting a movie, you know. I'll just buy it. And if I don't like it, I'll donate it. That's my act of goodwill. Um, and anyway, Heather's was in there the one time, and it had Winona Ryder on the cover. And I was like, oh, this is that teenage girl movie that I, I caught, you know? And I thought, I'll buy this. I'm pretty sure I'll like it. It's Winona Ryder. And so I remember that afternoon, I went home and made dinner. And um, in college, I was lucky enough that I had my own apartment. So uh, I went home, made dinner, and popped this movie in and just sat there and watched it from start to finish and just completely fell in love with it, just everything about it which we'll get into later on, but it just was like my kind of movie. Um, and so it's very bittersweet for me because it, it reminds me of those kind of nostalgic fun times of having my own place in college and, uh, you know, the good memories. So I guess I associate it with good memories too, but yeah, that's kind of how I came about Heather's. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you kind of hit it on the head. Like, I, I think... You mentioned Winona Ryder at the mm-hmm. beginning that you were a big Winona Ryder fan, mm-hmm. and I feel like I can't imagine any other actress in the role of Veronica yeah. than Winona Ryder because mm-hmm. this was a year I think in 1988. This probably was the tail end of 1988. At the beginning of the year, she was in Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I had ever seen Winona Ryder in a film. And she I was think, 15. Yeah, she was only like that, that young, mm-hmm. and I look at it like, wow, that was a very influential persona that she developed in 1988 yeah. because most teenagers in the 80s like they were more like Molly Ringwald mm-hmm. in the Brat Pack they were very clean yes. cut yuppie-ish 
trendy, mm-hmm. and she went against that grain. She did. She was much more cynical, and, mm-hmm. and I mean, there were probably some characters you can name in certain films that were reminiscent of that, but I don't think anybody really nailed it the way that she did. Like, I agree. you know, I think kids that were listening to college rock, like let's say The Cure, REM. Uh, Jesus and Mary Chain and uh, you know the Violent Femmes and the Pesh <laughs> Mode all those college bands I think yeah. even though those, some of those songs, I love The Cure yeah they they made some appearances I think in some John Hughes movies some of the bands mm-hmm. I mentioned but I think when she came out with the, the goth clothing and Beetlejuice that was like okay this feels like a transition into something else mm-hmm. in mainstream culture like we went from like the Molly Ringwald types with the big hair and yeah. the makeup and yeah we're going into like a darker more cynical look and not just with uh, the look the appearance but also mm-hmm. the attitude it was like she yeah. was very anti this anti that and uh, you know and I was a big one Oda Ryder fan like I, I think that she was a very good actress mm-hmm. you know unfortunately I do too I mean I still love her she's definitely one of my girl crushes uh, it's, so it's interesting that you talk about how you felt she, you couldn't imagine anybody else in that role, because I completely agree with you. But the funny thing is, is she was not their first choice. In fact, the um, producers and directors didn't think she was pretty enough, first of all. Mostly, though, because she looked like Lydia from Beetlejuice. It was at this time, at that time. Um, so that I actually read a story, and she's actually come out in interviews recently talking about that, how she went over to Macy's and went to the makeup counter and had them give her a makeover to make her look like the Veronica Sawyer that we see. Right. Because um, she was in all that goth makeup and pale, and they were like, what is this? This is not going to fit the mold. <laughs> um, and she was 15 at the time when she started shooting, and she wanted to do that movie so badly. She, Her agent t- said, don't do this. It's, it'll be the end of your career. This is a dark comedy. People aren't going to get it. It isn't going to make money. Like This is a bad career choice. You need to ride off of the success of Beetlejuice. And she just had very strong convictions about that role. Um, and luckily enough, she beat out people like Jennifer Connelly, who was who the, the, their top choice, who actually I think turned it down, and some other people. Uh, and now, she, you know, she is the Veronica Soil, and I can't imagine anybody else being it. You're well, just so right. Right, and Jennifer Connelly, I can understand. I think she had just made Lambrinth a few years prior to this movie, mm-hmm. so yeah, I could see I think her was being a So yeah, year before. Yeah, she had the look. I mean, I think they wanted someone with dark hair because they wanted all, you know. I don't know. There's just something about Burnett's that you just people think are more serious, you know, than Bonds. But uh, she definitely, I think, had that look. She was very pretty, mm-hmm. and, and I think could probably play a part like that. But Renona just had that edge. She had that realness to her. Um, it wasn't contrived. And when I watch this movie, I feel like I'm actually watching Winona Ryder at the age of 16. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like that's how she would be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that she was probably very relatable. It's like there's certain actresses that kind of encapsulate an era, and I mm-hmm. think she's one of those actresses that people said, I really have drawn to her, I really mm-hmm. relate to her. Yeah, she's very natural, mm-hmm. at, you know, in a, I think a very um, easy sense. It's like you don't, she doesn't ever seem like she's acting. Uh, but she's very charismatic, but she's not over the top. Mm-hmm. But she happens to be in a lot of over the top movies. With, I guess that works with Tim Burton because all his movies are really. You know, yeah. over the top, and and uh, it's good to have actors that aren't that over but, the top. Right? But but think about all her roles in the Tim Burton movies, like Beetlejuice, um, Edward Scissorhands. She always plays the human one, even though there's so yeah. much over the top going on mm-hmm. around her. She always plays sort of that sounding board. She's the realistic person in all the chaos and all the craziness. Mm-hmm. She's but, a great reactor to what other yes. people are doing. Like yeah. she did it in the Beetlejuice, and she does it here. She's mm-hmm. the reactor. She's the eyes and ears of the audience, mm-hmm. and she's the person whose point of view we kind of identify with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I find interesting about the script for this movie is generally in a movie like this, she would be an outcast at first, then she'd be taken in by the popular mm-hmm. girls, then they'd become popular, yeah. and then she'd rebel against them. Here, she's immediately already a popular. Yeah, and that click. But they do make references to the fact that she did have a pre-existing life, if you will, prior to the Heather's joint, you know, being in that click. Because um, remember the character Betty Finn, who is a real sweet girl. Yes, they yeah. saw each other. It shows them in the library, and Betty. She, yeah. she's, she says, "I'm sorry, I didn't go to your party, Betty." And Betty says, "Oh well, your mom said you had a date. If I had a date, I would have went to the date instead of my party too." And and you can see that there's a kindred, you know, they, they were friends. Um, and you can also sense that Winona Ryder feels 
sadness that she's no longer friends with that person because she could tell she really liked her. Yeah. And then later on, when Winona is just so consumed by the situation and everything that's happening, she turns to Betty Finn to play croquet and as kind of like to be a real friend to calm her down. Yeah. And that's yeah. who she keeps going to. Um, fun fact about those two characters. So, um, okay, so this the script for this movie, first of all, was written by a man named Daniel uh, Waters, who really was a no-name at the time. He lived in Hollywood, uh, and he was working at a video store. He was a video store clerk, and he mm-hmm. was working there when he wrote this movie, which I just think fits, is so perfect. Like, yeah. it just, I don't know, it just fits fits the mold. But, um, so, so the characters of uh, Veronica Sawyer and Betty Finn, the names, anyways, they were they were best friends who were kind of broken apart by the Heathers. Once Veronica got into that clique, they were like, you can't hang out with her anymore. You know, it's mm-hmm. us and no one else. Um, the name Veronica it, and even the name Betty, the two first names, are paying homage to Archie comics, Veronica and Betty. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I wondered about Veronica for mm-hmm. being from Archie, you yeah. know. And then the two last names, Sawyer and Finn, pay homage to Huckleberry Finn. Oh, so wow. isn't that cool? That's so very it shows cool. the kinship between Betty and Veronica, who are best friends, and yeah. then Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, who are also best friends. Um, and that's one thing too that I'm going to talk more about throughout the podcast is how fascinated I am by how much detail and thought went into this script. There's so much behind. There's a story and a meaning behind everything that you see here in this movie, and I just that is awesome because I'm the kind of person that if I ever write a script. That's how I want it to be. I want everything to have a purpose, you know, like mm-hmm. um, the high school. It's called Westerberg High, and that was named after um, one of my favorite artists, who is also one of the writer's favorite artists at the time, Paul Westerberg. He was the lead singer for The Replacements. Right, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And that was her favorite band at the time, so they named the high school Westerberg High. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's great. I like when they reference things. It yeah. kind of gives layers to a movie. I do too. Um, what's interesting is Daniel Waters. I definitely am familiar with because Daniel Waters was hired after this movie okay. to be the screenwriter for Batman Returns, as we all know. Well, I thought you were going to say Demolition Man. I well, <laughs> that too. He was also, which is weird. Demolition Man and Batman Returns aren't movies you would associate with Heather's at all. But there is a through line. There is a through line. <laughs> what, what I noticed with Batman Returns, I always had issues with that movie. I've never seen it. Wait um, a minute. Yes, I have. That's the Catwoman one. That's the, the Catwoman with Michelle okay. Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito as the mm-hmm. Penguin. The one common theme between two both films that I think about is that they're both, you know, they're darker comedies mm-hmm. essentially about outcasts. But I thought the snarkiness really bothered me in Batman Returns. I thought it was totally different from the first Batman. And I was dreading going into Heather's thinking, okay, it's going to bother me when I watch this because movie. Because you knew it was Daniel Waters. The, yeah, I knew that. and Denise Tenovi, who was the yeah. producer of both mm-hmm. films. So, A, clearly Tim Burton was paying attention to Heather's. He, and Winona Ryder was probably in it. He probably liked the tone of that movie mm-hmm. and said, hey, I want to bring these guys on board yeah. for this project. But um, I had issues with that in Batman Returns. You could certainly see a through line with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman with these characters. Mm-hmm. Like You could see that it's another strong female character breaking away from... Uh, the mainstream yeah. or tradition, but um, when I when I listened to Heather's, like the screenplay was great. I thought it was mm-hmm. really tight. I thought tonally it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was the exact opposite of what I was anticipating. The snarkiness works in the favor of yeah, this movie. Yeah, it was dry and but at the same time very charming. Yeah, I guess it's hard to write snarky dialogue for Alfred the Butler. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Well, I think, you know, I think you're right. I yeah. and I that's what I was going to say with Batman. I think that that the kind of style and tone that Heather's is might not be conducive to a comic book style movie. If you're doing everyday life, especially high school, especially with girls, you know, girls are catty. Girls right. say things like this. I mean, that's how girls act. Um, which is why, you know, Mean Girls, how many, 20 years later or whatever, I think it was about 20 years later from Heather's, but um, it works in that kind of setting. But to, to move it into a comic book or an or a alternative kind of reality I think gets a little tough because there's already so much over the top going on right that there has to be some kind of element of realness to it and um, in the Heathers I think um, the dialogue is one of my favorite elements about the movie not only is it like just incredibly well written I think and and well delivered but it has the dialogue in and of itself kind of has a life of its own. It's like a fully realized world. When you watch Heather's, 
it's, it made me think of Clueless. When you watch Clueless, all those catchphrases became part of real life. Mm. Whatever, loser, as if, and that's exactly how Heather's was with, you know, how very, and you know, um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, what's your damage? And <laughs> yeah. things like that. These all became catchphrases and, and parts of, of dialogue in the real world, um, even though it was in the world of the Heathers. And I just love that. I think it's so cool if you have your dialogue is so powerful like that that it transcends into real life and girls start really using this type of dialogue, you know you have something good. Oh, you do. And, and, and it kind of takes, uh, it, it, it talks and speaks to uh, how influential this movie became because it was not a huge financial success no. when it was first released. People it, didn't get it. No, it was... You have to realize this was so totally different mm -hmm. than any of the high school movies that have been mm -hmm. coming out in the 80s. Like the, all the John Hughes movies like The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. And, and then Porky's and all those quirky... Yeah, this was a very satirical, very pointed take mm -hmm. on high school. The dark side of it, yeah. you know, the darker undercurrents of Very clicks. intelligent too. Yes. I think it takes an intelligent um, sense of, of humor and like an intelligent kind of like just sense to, to really get this and understand it and see it for what it is. And not for, oh, it's violent or it's crude, you know, because it wasn't about that. Right. And I, I think it's very telling that the first director that I think Daniel Waters wanted wanted for this project was, you know, it's a long <laughs> shot, it was Stanley Kubrick, you yeah. know, which I, having seen the movie, I completely understand why he thought of Kubrick because Kubrick has a very detached, satirical bent to yeah. his directorial style. It's also very stylized. I could see David Lynch directing something like this too it's in that same vein yeah but I'll be honest with you when they picked Michael Lehman to direct this I thought that's the perfect fit because mm -hmm. I think what Michael Lehman did which I don't think any of the other directors would have attempted is that there are elements of this movie that really do look like your typical high school movie mm -hmm. and I think you need that for the yeah. satire to really play out like it does feel like uh, at times like they're Ferris Bueller type look and mm -hmm. feel to it in Fast Times. Like it's borrowing from a lot of the movies There's that people have seen. There's a lot of high seen. school scenes and stuff. Yeah. But then there are other elements where it gets a little more stylized like during the murder scenes and mm -hmm. stuff where you see like the tilt of the lighting has changed mm -hmm. and everything. And, and I, the music. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, it really plays to the fact that it's a black comedy essentially. Yeah. It really is a black comedy. Yeah. And I like the way Lehman directed it. I thought I that he too. did a really good job. It was definitely ahead of its time, and I think that's why it's such a cult classic now. People are getting it now, and even, you know, 10, you know, 20, 15 years ago, but at the time, it was so bizarre. It was so, no one had done anything like that. I don't think people knew how to respond. No, um, I bet, and, and it's so ahead of its time in a way it nails, like, the, the real dark undercurrents yeah. of ostracism, you know, being ostracized in high school. Mm -hmm. Like Christian Slater's character is a JD. JD. Yeah. Now, yeah. first of all, the name is yeah. derivative. Jason of... Dean. That was his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, also JD Salinger. Exactly. Yeah. Catch her in her Do eye. you want to know what? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. You know how Heather Duke, Shannon Doherty's character, always reads Moby Dick. In the script, it's actually Catcher in the Rye that she always reads, but they couldn't get the rights to put it uh, in the film, so they changed it to Moby Dick. Moby Dick. That's but good. But that's exactly right. His name is JD. And there's also another, which I'm such a literary nerd, so I love all these things, but you pointed out when we talked earlier about in Heather Chandler's room, there is um, Cliff Notes for Sylvia Plath. Yes. The Bell Jar. It, what's telling us is, A, it's Cliff Notes for that character. It wasn't exactly. the full novel. That's yeah. very telling about the character. Uh -huh. But also, just a reference that they're referencing Sylvia Plath and J.D. Salinger. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're obviously going into the undercurrents of people that felt detached from the rest of society mm -hmm. that would actually satirize the rest of society and always they always felt like outcasts they always emphasized outcasts yeah. and the loneliness of being an outcast and uh, nothing epitomizes that loneliness more than high school and I think that's that's why those references are made mm -hmm. but JD yeah like that's a reference but also he's wearing trench coats mm -hmm. that are dark and he's planning to uh, blow up the entire school mm -hmm. and the undercurrent for me is like this wouldn't be made today in this environment, but I also wonder how much of an influence this movie had on the fact that we have these these shootings that have happened and stuff. If those... I definitely think that, especially the the shootings of the nineties. I don't maybe not so much today because the copycat shootings are probably based on like Columbine's the one you think of because they wore trench coats, they had bombs, uh, they 
you know, but they, you know, were stylized after the Matrix as well. But uh, I guess there were other movies where a guy walked down a hallway and shot people in a movie. But when I was watching, I was very much like, yeah, I wonder how much of this movie, if people saw it, would, you know, they had enough angst in them, you know, would put on a trench coat and try to shoot up the, or blow up the school. And this is before that was a prevalent thing, mm-hmm. you know. Well before, at least a decade prior yeah. to the, the actual school shootings that started taking place on a regular yeah, basis. And, uh, but here I think it was meant to be satire. I don't think that the filmmakers ever envisioned that this is something mm-hmm. that people would actually be doing in real life. Yeah, he was... Yeah, it was a concern, though, obviously. Yeah. Afterwards they thought, well, is this going to spur up a teen suicide? Well, that was a big thing. Yeah. Like, early 90s mm-hmm. was a teen suicide. I remember that... You know, it probably is a big deal now, but I remember it got a lot of attention. And a lot of people were committing suicide in their own Yeah, life. yeah, and suicide. Pain. I mean, famous people. Yeah, and this this movie kind of talked about suicide as as a form of becoming cool. Like, you're cool. You have so much angst. Uh, you have so much uh, build-up, well, uh, you know, uh, issues that you can't resolve them. And, you know, you want to... Well, remember the scene where Heather McNamara, who is the um, cheerleader, the one who wore yellow, she went ran off to the bathroom and was going to overdose on a bunch of pills. I mean, Winona Ryder, you know, stopped her and she made a comment. She goes, "Suicide is a personal thing." And then, you know, Winona Ryder's like, "I can't." She's like, "It is not personal." You know, she's like, "I can't yeah. think of a more selfish thing." And um, she's like, "Do you just want to become another statistic in U.S. fucking A today?" <laughs> and uh, it's just a great, you know, it's a great dialogue. Um, so, you know, even though there were those harder, you know, elements to the film, with some of the dialogue, I think they were trying to kind of tie it all together. Like, yes, this is happening, but but with, with lines and stuff like that, hopefully they're making people realize, yeah, it's not personal, and it isn't. You're just becoming another statistic. This isn't the solution right. to your problems. Um, you know, and, and, and we start seeing that as, the char- as we're known as character Veronica starts sort of shifting. Um, because I don't think she ever really wanted to kill anyone. No, she no. never really wanted to kill Heather Chandler. That was all JD's influence. He had the Drano. Yeah, he had those. And even yeah. yeah, he didn't stop her when she accidentally picked. They kissed, and then exactly. he, she reached down and got the Drano cup instead of the cup that was uh, milk and orange juice, mm-hmm. which was supposed to suit some kind of you know I guess vomiting or whatever. Stomach, yeah, yeah, upside her stomach. Tastes awful, uh, but he you know she drank the Drano. And then he did that whole psychological thing, you know, mm-hmm. where she's like, you're not going to trick me into drinking this. And then mm-hmm. she's like, hand it over. Uh, she's like, it's probably phlegm god. Yeah. I love it. She's like, what, you think I'm not going to drink it just because you call me chicken? Yeah. I love her. And he just... Give me the drink. And then she takes it and boom, she slams it right on the coffee table. Yeah. Corinthians. Those are her last words. I actually, I'll be honest, I felt terrible for all the people dying in this movie. I know that they were all... Popular and they were kind of superficial and they were very judgmental. Yeah. But as soon as they died, you're like, oh, that's a human being. They probably had a redemptive quality somewhere down mm-hmm. the line, and and we will never have, they'll never have the opportunity to, to to find that out, you know. But I don't think Winona Ryder. I think that's the reaction Winona Ryder had or Veronica had to all these yeah. killings is that. Wow, this went too far. I did. These people didn't deserve it. I just wanted to move away from them. I didn't want to have anything yeah. to do with them anymore. I just. And that's what she said. She goes, "There's a big difference between killing someone and wanting them out of your life." That, I think that's when her and JD kind of have the argument in Heather's mm-hmm. room. She says something on the lines of, "You know, I didn't want her dead. I just wanted her out of my life." Um, yeah. But he is so mentally unstable. He doesn't know the difference. You know, he mm-hmm. has no concept of. It's, well, it's, he's an extremist. It's one or the other for him. You love someone or you don't, or you want to kill him. Which he gets from his dad, because his dad was exactly. also blowing things up for a living, so he has that pyromaniac yeah. element in his personality. Which I love those scenes, which were the, the banter <laughs> with him and his dad. And yeah. Like, that was kind he of calls his dad fun. son, and his dad, yeah. and he gets on that treadmill and he's just walking. Hey, yeah. dad. Hey, son. Why don't you introduce me to your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the adults in this movie. They're all exaggerated in a very, like, farcical way compared to the kids. I kind of like Yeah, that, they're very know? detached. They're not yeah. like, um, I mean, this movie really, you know, how people exploit a tragedy for their own, you know, their own good. Like the, the, the what was it, what te- was it the art teacher? Yeah, I think she was She was trying to like make it, you know, she kind of made it this big thing and 
it was all fake, you know, like they're all in hands. You Heather, know, yeah. how many stations did you run to? I like, <laughs> she hated you. You hated her. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, the scene where after the day that when the day after Heather Chandler dies and they go to school and all that happens, Renona Ryder, or well, Heather, um, excuse me, Veronica and her parents are sitting on that back patio. And just as they always do, and they have that typical banter, you know, why do I smoke these cigarettes? Because you're an idiot. You too. Yeah. But it's funny because the dad says, he goes, oh, how was school? How was the first day of school after Heather's death? It was just a good yeah. way he said it. It was like, what? You know, they're just so desensitized. <laughs> but that one guy was like, well, I, you know, I closed the school a day for a cheerleader. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. After the first Heather dies, like, you know, they negotiated down to like an hour or whatever they closed the school. Early, yeah. yeah. It was great. Like, the principal of the school, that was the principal, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That guy was great. I think he's a character actor I've seen before, but I could not find his his name offhand. But mm-hmm. um, one of the angles of the screenplay that I really love, which we're touching on, is that each death, they write their own suicide notes for these characters, but it gives those characters depth in the mm-hmm. community that they never thought they had. Like, everybody thought, Heather, oh, yeah, she struggled with being popular and yeah. you know, finding her own identity, which wasn't happening. No, she became, was evil. She yeah. was probably really generally one of the meanest... Meanest people in the school. Yeah. And then the two, uh, you know, football players, they, they drag into the woods, mm-hmm. you know, and they kill them. And then they become a homosexual couple, and the whole community is embracing that <laughs> aspect. Like, I wish... We have I been love more my supportive. I love my dead gay son. Yeah, <laughs> I love how they they add more depth and, and they be, they've been martyr they're martyrs yeah. now and that's exactly what what JD and Veronica happen. didn't want to happen. Yeah. You know, you know, which is that's true. Like when people die, they add there's a gravitas that's added to them whether they deserved it or not. Exactly. Well, that's one of the other things I love so much about this movie too, and I think it was brilliantly incorporated were the diary entries that Veronica had every now and again she would do the diary entries yeah. um, and that's one of the things she talks about the diary entries you know she's like killing Heather you know gave her a heart and whenever killing Ram and um, Kurt and Ram gave them you know depth she's like uh, something or other she says something like are we going to um, my teenage I love that yeah she goes my teenage angst bullshit has a body count <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like I like JD but when I'm with him I have no control she's like are we going to he- Problem, or are we going to hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Like, I just love those diary entries. They were so much fun, and just how stylish she was with the monogold. And um, I just think they were fun, and they were uh, brilliantly incorporated in because that's something else that teenage girls can identify with is having diaries. Yeah, you know. But and and having those those entries also, they just make Veronica so inherently likable. They do. They make her very relatable, and I think, I, like going back to an earlier point, like I can't imagine anybody but Ramona Ryder mm-hmm. in the role because I think that's the thing that Ramona Ryder brings to it is relatability and a perspective yeah. on it. And when I look at other movies that came out subsequent to Heather's, like Clueless and especially Mean Girls, they feel like a watered down version of what mm-hmm. we saw here. Clueless is a kind of a later film. Anyway. Yeah, it's not really like a mean. It's not really like a Heather's type of thing. You just have the four girl, the high school scene with right. the dialogue catching on. But but I think I think Mean Girls is shooting, trying to be a little bit more like Heather's yeah. than Clueless was. Yeah, it does. You have the, the gang, or not, not, not the gang, but in Mean Girls, you have the four main girls. One's like really, really mean, and then. You have the Lindsay Gohan character who's kind of like the Veronica that doesn't really want to be a part anymore. And yeah. So. Yeah, they, they do have those elements. Um, I think this is a sh- like a, a s- the structure of this movie is much sturdier. Like it feels I like a really it. complete story that somebody mm-hmm. really hammered yeah. over and over yeah. again. The others feel like like something that might have been put together and then they improvised a lot of the scenes mm-hmm. a little bit. Or it's more comedy at heart where this actually really, it was a comedy but it had more behind, more substance behind it than just being funny. Well, I think the the original script was much darker. It was. Than, than, but the studio wouldn't allow them to make mm-hmm. it as dark. I think Veronica was supposed to stick with JD until the mm-hmm. very end, right? Yeah, she was um, supposed to be, how they put it, slightly less more, or slightly more moral than JD, but not much. Um, but yeah, you know, it's interesting because there are a lot of setbacks and concerns with this film because of the time when they were probably talking about the film, it was probably 86 or 87. And during that time, you know, there wasn't anything like this. And there were a lot of cursing in this movie. There was, you know, the sex. There was the murders, the suicide. All these really heavy topics that um, people didn't necessarily know how to respond to. And 
So yeah, the script was supposed to be much darker. They want, um, so get this, Shannon Doherty, who we all know today is like a bitchy bad girl. Yes. More like, that's the personality she has. That wasn't lost on me watching this movie either, no. But at the time that she did this movie, she was 17, and apparently she was raised in a very religious, Christian, conservative household, and she had issues with all the profanity. She struggled saying, remember that one line where she says, Heather, or she goes, Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Yeah. Yeah. That, like, she struggled saying that and some of the other curse words. Um, and her parents actually were on set with her because she was still technically a minor. But um, I thought that was funny. And then Doris Day, who sings uh, K Sarah Sarah, yeah. which is the opening song, and they played again at the end. They originally wanted Doris Day's version, but she refused to give them rights to that version because of the profanity in the movie. Right. And, and the main reason is the song was chosen I think it's the irony of it being exactly. played uh, I think yeah. the, the closing theme was by Sly and the Family Stone by the way oh was it great. Okay. yeah the funkier version yeah more R&B infused mm-hmm. but um, I think uh, I don't know if I prefer Veronica being the hero at the end or not I think I do I, I think I fall in that because I think Veronica's character I like because she really views herself as the one true humanist in the whole school that really cares about everybody else yeah. and doesn't doesn't like the cliques. She wants to kind of eliminate cliques. I think anybody who's felt awkward around... I mean, in high school is like the epitome of that where you're at your most vulnerable and your most mm-hmm. awkward and the most emotionally, you know, screwed up. And I think that, uh, like she was empathetic towards all the other kids in the school and in the ending of course she ends up dating that one guy who was who was in the wheelchair I think and he was overweight and had no the, it's oh, a girl. girl oh it was a girl Martha Dunstock Martha Dunstock man I missed that completely but he called her jump truck yeah because they write the letter for her yeah. at the beginning to the football player where they fake write and that's when yeah. Monica, when Heather Chandler goes you know they want to write that Letter. She goes. It'll give her shower masturbation material for weeks. <laughs> I just love the dialogue. But then, or, or Veronica is like, she's like, why do we have to do this? She's like, I don't have anything against Martha Dunstock. Yeah. And then Heather Taylor's like, you don't have anything for her either. <laughs> I just love it. But but it shows even in the very beginning that Veronica is resistant. She doesn't want to be mean. You know, she doesn't want to bother these people. Yeah. Um, who she feels like have no, have no need to be bothered. Was she recently popular? She was, yeah, she was. She was friends. That's what we were talking about with yeah. Betty Finn. Yeah. They made, I think it was, maybe not have, was as clear as it could have been to other people, but it, it her well, I know she was recent, but it seemed friends. like she yeah. was gotten to this click maybe months, not years. Yeah. I, th- I would say she was probably a year into it, and by the time we first meet Veronica, she's getting to the point where she realizes she's kind of having buyer's remorse. You know, you realize this was not a good idea for me. I really liked what I had better mm-hmm, yeah. um, because I don't have a sense of myself anymore. Right. I think that was, you know, I think one of the first scenes of them in school is Veronica like writing in her journal and then what the two, Heather Duke and Heather McNamara like, come over and kick her and she's like, what's your damage? <laughs> and she's like, Heather's, Heather went in the cafeteria now. Remember? Right. And then she's yes. like, and you just get the sense that they're all slaves to this Heather Chandler, yeah, the main right. Heather. Um, so, I, yeah, I think if I had to guess, I'd say she was probably maybe a year into it. Because they seemed close enough that they knew each other well, the four of them, um, in terms of like friends. like They seemed to know each other's lifestyles and how each one mm-hmm. operated pretty well. Yeah, I did feel, I felt really bad for... Uh... Miss Dumbstock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just really sad because yeah. the actress that played her played it really like, you know, she walks over and drops the letter down and they start laughing. I mean, it's very... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just feel, you know, how... Because she's just minding her own business or whatever. And she's probably already very insecure because maybe the way she looks physically or... Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, there are tons of things... Well, Sean thought it was a boy. Yeah, yeah that's, that's which, the problem. for better or worse. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the end, there's, you know, they, they... She's, like, you know, in that wheelchair because doesn't she attempt she suicide? She tries to commit suicide, yeah. She gets hit yeah. by a car. She doesn't... Mm-hmm. You know, I think it says the, after she gets hit by the car, the last scene you see her is at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's driving around, uh, Veronica spinning around. <laughs> it's kind of like a happy... It yeah. does look like uh, that they have some sort of meaningful relationship, or or they did at one point. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That there was a previous relationship mm-hmm. of some sort. But I could see if you thought that you know, because the way she's driving around, kind of cutesy. Um, yeah. At the end there, the score is really good too. Um, this movie, it's it one is. of the Newmans. 
Yeah, it, it's it's very good. It really sets the tone, I think, for the movie because it's kind of dramatic. It, again, it's something synthesizer. That's, yeah. yeah, it's that typical eighties. Yeah. Uh, going back to the note thing, um, and this sort of ties into what I said in the very beginning when I, how I really admired the fact that um, Daniel Waters incorporated um, so much detail and thought into the film because I think doing that helped make it really raw and added personal, made it personal, you know. So one of the things too that he did was. Um, his sister used to be like a Heather, and they used to write, they used to forge notes in high school and do that trick to other people in high school. Mm-hmm. So that's something that he actually took from his real life and oh, put that okay. in the film. His sister was like Veronica. She could forge the Yeah, she seemed to have a talent for that, the mm-hmm. forging signature. Uh, and then another thing that he also took out of real life was some of the dialogue, like what's your damage? He had a friend, a camp counselor, that used to ask kids that. What's your damage? And then... Um, Fuck me gently with a chainsaw when Heather <laughs> Chandler says that in the cafeteria. He had a guy friend who used to say, uh, fuck me gently with a crowbar. But he changed crowbar because he felt like that was too masculine. So he changed it to chainsaw and also added an element of humor. You know, you can't, right. really, you can't do anything mm-hmm. gently with a chainsaw. No. So I like that line. That's a classic line, too. That's uh, yeah. the one that, that resonated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what did you guys... Uh, one of the things I did like when we were talking about the Heather... The actresses who played Heather, they all played them really well. But I love that they're all named Heather, and it's quiet. Like, cause that's an example of conformity. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate conformity. We Heather all even have the same yeah. name, you know. Except for Veronica. Except for Veronica, who one of the, one of the nerds said, Heather one looked my way. Uh-huh. They, they were definitely ranked Heather one, two, and three. Yeah. That even then, even then, mm-hmm. there's a hierarchy within those names. Yeah, yeah. that's like when JD says when he first meets Veronica, he's like, "Are you Heather?" And she says, no, I'm a Veronica. No. <laughs> I love that line. Which made me think that was the real name is Heather, right? Yeah. Okay, so, because I thought, they when I first watched it, it's like, oh, you, you get to a status where your name becomes Heather. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know. Uh, no, I think it's just coincidentally that the three most popular girls, <laughs> it's a comment on how, like, so many yeah. of these upper upper class, you know, popular kids in high school, they all kind of have to conform to certain standards in order to stay on that status mm-hmm. quo. It just happens that they all—they're all named Heather because it's not like the Ramones where they all get <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's naming their kids Heather because that's what you name your kids. Yeah, Heather, you it know. was a popular name at the time or whatever. Yeah, it's right. Very yeah. yeah. So speaking of the name Heather, um, the director wanted um, Heather Graham to play, I think Heather McNamara, the cheerleader, and ironically enough, her real name was Heather. She was about seventeen at the time. But her parents would not let her do the movie because of the dark content. Oh, wow. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So they ended up getting the girl, Lisa Ann Frank, or Lisa Ann Folk, who we see in the film, who was actually 23 at the time, lied to the directors and said she was 18 because she wanted to be in the movie so badly. <laughs> well, that makes sense how she was cast in this movie. <laughs> She's perfect for the role. Yeah. Deceitful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys, speaking of casting, what did you guys think of Christian Slater's performance? I think this was I his breakout. Him. Yeah. And I think there's so much natural chemistry between... Him and Renona Ryder, there's also that sense of likability. You know, even though you're not maybe supposed to like JD, you do. You kind of fall under the charm just as Veronica does as an audience member. And you start off kind of like, ooh, this guy's dark and intriguing. They yeah. call him a dark horse, remember? The right, yeah. Um, but then, you know, you get to know him and you're like, wow, this guy's psycho and he's creepy. But at the same time, you're still drawn to it just as Veronica is um, until, you know, the very end. And I remember people telling me before I had actually seen this movie in its entirety, like, oh yeah, Christian Slater was always aping Jack Nicholson or ripping Jack Nicholson off mm-hmm. in his performances, or he's trying to be Jack Nicholson. And I, I think this is the only performance I've really seen where that's clearly true. And it's clearly that's who he was it's deriving true. Yeah, it from. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, yeah. As a Nicholson fan, I think especially when I first saw this back in college, like when I was half watching it. I think that really bothered me because I'm like, oh, he's trying to be Nicholson. Only Nicholson can be Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. I'm, full confession, he's my yeah. favorite actor. Yeah. But another thing is, I have a hard time seeing Jack Nicholson in high school anyway. <laughs> like, he's just not a guy you would see in high school. And if he was, he'd be kind of like JD. Yeah. You know, this outside guy who. Maybe not the trench coat. He'd probably have yeah. like a zoot suit on zoot or something. <laughs> well, it's like when we talked about Kurt Russell being John Wayne. Yeah. You know, this is. He's definitely just trying. Uh, Trying to be someone countercultural, and he's trying to be not Jack Nicholson, so to speak. He's trying to be Jack Nicholson from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, you know the guy that's the outcast. You know, trying to bring everybody together, the cool. And I don't. I think he kind of he doesn't do it over the top. He just kind of gets the cadence of his speech. 
No, if you didn't know anything other than yeah. this movie, if you're watching it in a vacuum, it's a perfectly fine performance. In fact, it's a very good performance because yeah. he has to be charismatic mm-hmm. and yeah. and kind of en- enticing. Evil. Right, yeah. yeah. He has to kind of bring Veronica into his mm-hmm. web a bit. And the yes. best way to do that is to be this charismatic individual. Oh, I like so, him a lot in this movie. I yeah. Think he, he has great chemistry with Winona Ryder mm-hmm. and uh, with Veronica. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know... Even his body language, where he's just not—he's yeah. cool, but he's—he's he's definitely the I mean, definitely alternative cool. You know, he's not cool in the. I love how he greets people, greetings and salutations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's kind like, of quirky. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. kind of quirky, and greetings I and yeah. salutations. Yeah. yeah, and it does. I sound like Christian Slater, sounding like Jack <laughs> Nicholson when I say it. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's a very good performance. Um, I think the first time I saw Christian Slater was in Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves as Will Scarlet. Yeah, Will yeah. Scarlet. Yeah, so yeah. Brad Pitt actually tried out for the role of JD, and they said he was too nice. Like he just looked too nice, and he didn't have that edge. Christian Slater still has an edge to him, oh. you yeah. know. But at the same time, would be someone that you feel like if you were a girl, you could easily see yourself liking. You know. There's a menace to Christian mm-hmm. Slater that would be lacking in Brad Pitt. I think that's why he was cast because he yeah. has that charm. Yeah. And he's kind of smarmy. Mm-hmm. He's but yeah. he's also his own man. There's a certain integrity to him, and I can't think of anybody else in the role, honestly, for what they were going. He is for. an underrated actor. I don't think he, this hasn't. This is of all the movies I've seen him in. This one, he definitely has a. He kind of shines a little bit because mm-hmm. he's got an interesting character to play. He has a lot of star power in this movie. Yeah. Like, this is a star-making performance. Like yeah. I think this was yeah. his breakout role. You yeah. know? Same with Renona. I mean, Beetlejuice yeah. was big, but this was probably her starring first movie where she... She played a... Uh, she held the film. Yeah. Because Beetlejuice, she was just overshadowed by yeah, she, <laughs> well, Keaton. I mean, yeah. she was. You know, this was actually her... She... Yeah. Carried the film. Yeah. I noticed a lot of parallels in real life with a lot of the cast members in this movie as and, and where they end up in real life. Like, mm-hmm. well, Nona Ryder plays Veronica. Well, there's a lot of moral ambiguity in her actual life because of the shoplifting incident that happened, like, I think in the turn of the millennium. Well, Nona mm-hmm. forever. I yeah, still yeah. Love her. <laughs> I do too. I do too. And I, I think there's a lot of backstories that we're not familiar yeah. with. But she did suffer from massive depression for a long time. She right. was probably bipolar. That, right. Yeah, because they sort of go hand in hand. Yeah. And that could have influenced that decision. Who knows? Right. I love you, Winona. Right. Yes. Is that just... That, I'm just saying, if she's listening, yeah. I love you. Call me. Let's have coffee. Winona, please contact us if you have a chance. We'll, we'll, I mean it. We'll clear your name. Yeah. She is a great... I mean, because she's so unique as an actress. You don't see... You know when I know the writers in the movie, she's gonna play it. You know what kind of movie? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was either period pieces, something that was always had a dark gothic vibe mm-hmm. to it, like Bram Stoker's Dracula with Coppola directed mm-hmm. her in that. She was actually gonna be cast as uh, Michael Corleone's daughter in The Godfather Part Three. Wow. But something happened where he she had a fight, I think, with Coppola or something happened. There was mm-hmm. a conflict, and Sofia Coppola took over, which, as we all know, turned out beautifully. So, yeah, I do like Sofia uh, Coppola uh, on her own. I think she's a good director. She's a great director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but I think that would have been really interesting to see Winona as uh, Michael's daughter. I think that would have added a, a stronger dynamic to that yeah. movie. But she was in Coppola's yeah. Dracula as. Um, uh, I think she was uh, Dracula's long lost love or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't like remember that. what her name was, but yeah, that's who the character type that she played. How'd she... And she Keanu Reeves was in that movie as well. I guess. Yeah, yeah. She was also in The Age of the Innocence. That was yeah. a Scorsese film mm-hmm. with Daniel Day-Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer. She was also in The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> God, who would have thought that Winona Ryder and Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> would be a, would be a, a yeah. Hepburn Tracy, Tracy kind of uh, couple. They were great together. Yeah. yeah. Both unique um but i mean also the other parallel i thought of was shannon doherty is playing the ultimate mean girl in this movie at least she transitions into that she yeah. takes over mm-hmm. yeah but then you find out on beverly hills 90210 with all the press that she was the most difficult person to work with and nobody liked her uh just weird and she parallels. was the ultimate mean girl yeah these people were perfectly cast in this movie and another parallel uh, that's actually very sad is the, the actress kim walker who played heather chandler um there's a line in the movie where Shannon Doherty's character, Heather Duke, wants to be red when they're playing croquet, and Heather Chandler is always red. And she says that. She goes, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? First you ask if you could be red, knowing that I'm always red. <laughs> I just love that. But, but sadly enough, that actress passed away when she was 32 of a brain tumor. Oh, man. That's another weird I know. Parallel. How weird. Like, that's really awful. 
the most disastrous thing I think what happened with this movie is uh, the director and writing team which was Michael Lehman and Daniel Waters they followed this up with one of the biggest bombs in Hollywood history which was Hudson Hawk it was a movie with Bruce Willis haven't seen it I've never seen it but it was I remember the press surrounding that movie like it's the ultimate bomb it was a disaster it was critically panned and it didn't seem like they really worked together that often afterwards, or they really took off after that. It seemed like there was a stalling point after the early 90s for both men. I mean, Lehman, I think, directed The Truth About Cats and Dogs with Janine Garofalo. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a good film, but he also did that Airheads movie, <laughs> which was terrible, by the way. I hate that movie. I didn't, I, when I looked up those credits, like, God, that was a drop-off from Heather's. Like, because that I felt like Heather's... So yeah, Heather's feels like it was a starting point of a really strong career. And I think had it not been for Hudson Hawk turning out to be the disaster it was, that, that these two would have gone on to a great career as a mm -hmm. director writing team with yeah. these really personal projects. Well, I think maybe that's the problem. Maybe they lost some of the personal elements in it. Like this one, you know, the script was taken so much out of real life and there were elements to it. And maybe that was their struggle is they were, they lost that, yeah. you know, that personal feeling to it and it just became... Hollywood took a hold of them and said, hey, yeah. we like we know what to do with these guys. Uh -huh. Let's give them airheads. <laughs> well, speaking of Hollywood, so get this. Okay, at, the t at around the same time that Heathers was in the works, Lethal Weapon and Fatal Attraction had been released, and they were two box office hits. So before they actually called the film Heathers, they contemplated the title Lethal Attraction, trying wow. to capitalize on each one of those movies. That would have been interesting. And it, Which it, would still fit. It would. Heather's is such a great Heather's title, is though. Perfect. That I know. is a perfect title for this movie. I know. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, like, I think the motif that I love with the Heather's was the uh, the red scrunch, you know, the scrunchie. Yes, I want to talk the, about that. Yeah, yeah. The, the passing mm -hmm. of the torch. Yeah. Yep. I call it the red scrunchie of power. And that's <laughs> what it symbolizes, and that's one of the very first things that we see in the opening credits is Heather Chandler fixing her red scrunchie and that immediately sets the tone of okay this girl's in charge yeah oh yeah you know? I love that and also one of the things I personally just absolutely love about the movie is the fact that each one of the girls wears the same color throughout the film and it's my personal belief being that you know I'm all into psychology and things like that it's my personal belief that each one of these colors fit the personality and emotion of each one of the girls um, so like for example, uh, whoops, okay, let me pull this up. I looked up the, um, emotion of colors. Mm -hmm. So Veronica always wears blue. Usually it's that same shade, but sometimes it varies. Either way, she always wears blue. Blue signifies tranquility, security, integrity, peace, loyalty, trust, and intelligence. And out of all the characters, out of all those four girls, she probably, despite the fact that she killed someone... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think she, she embodies those the most, certainly. She's probably the most, like you said, humanist of all of them. Yeah. So then we go to Heather Duke, who is Shannon Doherty, who wore green. Green represents freshness, environment, new money, fertility, healing, and earth. And she definitely struck me as someone, especially when she was still wearing the green, she wanted to belong. She wanted to fit in so badly. I mean, she did anything just to get Heather Chandler to like her. You know, like, remember that one scene where they're playing croquet and she's like, are you going to knock me out again, Heather? And they have that little banter. Yeah. And um, you can tell that she just is so um, submissive to Heather Chandler. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So then we come to Heather um, McNamara, who is the one who wore yellow. Yellow was bright, sunny, energetic, warm, happy, perky, joy, and intellect. And she definitely was probably the peppiest, and she just seemed like kind of oblivious. She was in the Heathers, but she wasn't really mean. She just, I think, was there to be there, you know? She just was, hey, I'm here, and I'm popular, and I'm just going to get along with everybody, and that's kind of how she was. And mm -hmm. then she became bullied at the end by Heather Chandler, or Heather Right, Duke. right. Um, and then we come to Heather Chandler, who is in red. Which, first of all, red symbolizes power. It is the color of power. Mm -hmm. You are red. That's saying, hey, look at me. I want to be noticed. And it, um, so, yeah, it energizes, it um, symbolizes energy, power, strength, heat, and desire. Wow, that's great. And I, I, I could be wrong, but it's my personal belief, just based on what I know about Daniel Waters so far in terms of where his mind was at when he wrote this, and, you know, just the intellectual 
aspects of it. I believe he did that on purpose. And it's funny because all throughout the movie, each girl only wears their color. It's like the Power Rangers. All the Power Rangers um, always wear their color. Right. This is the same thing. All the girls um, wear those colors throughout. That, I just love that. I think it's, I'm fascinated by that. Well, it's an attention to detail that this that, that both Lehman and Waters put into this movie that makes it distinct from other films mm-hmm. we we're talking about. Because I don't think that you know Mean Girls or Clueless really follow that no. so distinctly. Mm-hmm. This kind of symbolism that this movie brings yes. out. It's and, a symbolism that I love. Right. It, it brings a lot of depth and undercurrent yeah. to it. Uh, you know, I love the funeral scenes in particular, especially yes. I think the actor in it is like uh, Glenn Shadix. He played uh, Otho in, in Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah, another t- tie to Beetlejuice. Uh, he's really funny in this. And and just what, what did they say? Like, there was a couple lines about going to a funeral, like, or going, a mourning. What was the line that one underwriter d- dealt with mourning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Heather girl. McNamara goes, hey, what are you doing tonight, Veronica? And she's like, mm, I don't know. Might watch a little TV. Mourn. <laughs> <laughs> right, mourn like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great line. That sums up the movie pretty well. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of. They just have this nonchalant. Yeah, nonchalant of, about the deaths, the whole movie. You know, yeah. even from the very first uh, suicide. Like her like parents. How was the first day after Heather's death? <laughs> yeah, it was. And I think the ending is is really great when the final confrontation with with uh, Veronica and JD in mm-hmm. in the boiler room and mm-hmm. in the basement, like because you have the juxtaposition of everybody being happy in high school, mm-hmm. going business yeah. as usual on top, yeah, and on the bottom in, the, in hell, you know, he's yeah. just going through the boiler trying to blow it up. But it's interesting. How do you think JD felt about Veronica at the end? Did he respect her for standing up? I to think him? he was disappointed. I think he wanted the Bonnie to his Clyde. Yeah, and I think he thought he had that. Um, he was definitely obviously trying to, once he realized she was starting to rebel, he was doing things intentionally to hurt her. He's the one who actually built up Heather Duke, gave her the red scrunchie of power. That was a very and, interesting, uh, that power play. Yeah. And he sort of in, in, influenced her to taking on that new role. I mean, he even talks about, you know, the school needs a new leader and then Heather Chandler, or Heather Duke's like, yeah, and Heather Chandler couldn't handle it, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. and so you can just sense that she's got this arrogance, like, I'm going to be, you know, the new leader, and she becomes that, and then she starts wearing red, did you notice that? Yes, yeah, yes. So she starts wearing red, um, but so he was trying to do these things to get to Veronica, because he knew that would bother her, and then I love the confrontation between the two of them, when Veronica's like, Heather, why do you have to be such a mega bitch? And she's like, because I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, <clears throat> but that's what I, I think he, once he sees that, he gets angry. And, and like any teenage boy, you you know, it's just like, okay, if I get mad at Scott, I'm going to go date Scott's best friend to get yeah. back at him. It's that yeah. kind of mentality. And I think JD was like, okay, well, I'm going to get her where it hurts. I'm going to try and get these girls against her. Right. To make her feel even more isolated so then she'll come back to me. Because he even says, he makes a comment, you'll be back. He does, he does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I felt to me like, uh, that's what I liked, is like JD kind of respected Veronica for standing up to him and far stopping him. Like, it's like, wow, I didn't expect this to happen. Mm -hmm. But then he blows himself up Mm -hmm. and, you know, and the ending was great where she takes the uh, scrunchie herself and Mm -hmm. says, I've earned this now. I'm in control, I'm going to set the tone. So it is an optimistic ending, Absolutely. even though it's kind of dark. It still has that sort of optimistic tone. And I think, tone. is it Heather McNamara or somebody comes out and says, Veronica, you look like hell. And then she's like, I just got back. <laughs> yes. She says that. She has um, all the, yeah. the you mm-hmm. know. Oh, one quick thing before I forget, going back to the whole color scheme. I don't know if you guys noticed, but even their houses were the same color. Even the houses were in sync with, which, with whatever color the girl was. Like Veronica's room was blue. Her, the outside patio that we always see had had like a blue awning. Yes. Um, the uh, Heather Chandler's kitchen had like red accents, and her bedroom is red and white. Had the red carpet and, I did notice and the red that, bow yeah. hanging. Um, and then Heather McNamara's room was all yellow. Remember she had the Tweety Bird, and her room is all yellow. And then obviously they all played those same colors in croquet. Yeah, they those do. Were yeah, the croquet colors. I like the playing of the croquet too. Just mm-hmm. really. Stupid throwaway game that no one plays, but they. But it's a status game. Yeah, it's, it's what status. rich people play. It's something. But you don't know, you never really understand why they sit around and play it. <laughs> and they play. That's Veronica's house. They play. It's Veronica's house. Yeah. yeah, and she's rich, obviously, and they all are. To and some their parents are always sitting there, and every you know, it's definitely a movie where the kids are smarter than the parents. Where you kind of get it's from the kids' perspective. Sure. Um, because the parents are kind of you know. 
She always, the parents always ask her if she wants, her mom always asks her if she wants pate. Yes. And her response is, I got a motor if I'm going to make it to this party. At the, and then the next scene, would you like some pate? I got a motor if I'm going to make it to Heather's room roll. Yeah. Like it's a, yeah. Why do I smoke? Because you're an idiot. <laughs> you too. Yeah, that great motif. Yeah. You're an idiot. And you go, yeah. oh, Phil, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not listening to anything you're saying. I'm yeah. Still going along. This yeah. is what we do. This is what rich, rich people do. They sit on the patio eating pate and smoking and... Yeah, you know, Veronica, come up here. Yeah. So going back to what we talked about before, um, a, do you guys think this movie would play well to modern audiences? And also, do you think this could ever possibly be made today with the same uh, script intact and the same tone intact? Or do you think it would be very controversial and be hard to get off the ground? I think it'd be very controversial. I mean, just just because of all the high school kill. I mean, suicide alone. You know how it treats suicide, and uh, the JD character by himself. People say, "Oh, he's cool. He's fantasizing." You know, blowing up a school, and people copycat that, and you know, because he's kind of a cool character, and he's you know, mm-hmm. he's charming in this kind of sinister way, and people would copycat it, want to blow up their own school. You know, because that was a big thing after Columbine happened, is that they went back and looked at everything they were watching, whether from video games to movies. I don't think Heather's was ever found. I mean, yeah, no, and yet I see so many direct parallels with Mm -hmm. Heather's. The trench coat, the trench coat mafia. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know if that was. Although I I mean, I I know that Heather's is written by a man, and and you know I feel like it's a fun movie for, well maybe not fun, but you know I like it. But it's a movie kind of for anyone. But I feel like it kind of like Mean Girls. It's more of a girls movie Mm -hmm. because girls are the main characters, and yeah, I think in a way it's. I think it more so than Mean Girls. It's it's it's. I don't. I think it's a satire of. Yeah. Right. I don't. I don't think it's. Mean but Girls I don't is, necessarily think two high school boys would come up, would want to say, "Hey, let's get together on Friday night and watch Heather's." Yeah. It's more of a girl yeah. thing. I but feel if you like. watch the movie, there's that, the character of JD is very, you know, yeah. and it, it's not. I mean, it deals with suicide and mm-hmm. writing suicide notes, and if you listen to the score, it's very. Teenage it's very dark. Suicide. Yeah. It's a very dark movie. As Mean Girls is lighter. Mean Girls is like, you know, SNL, Tina Fey. Yeah, it's much lighter. It is. And I actually think this movie plays better for me than the other two do. And I think it branches out beyond just a niche for for a female audience. I think it just mm-hmm. appeals to a lot of people because it's just a smart, um, beautifully woven satire. Mm-hmm. Like, it yeah. really follows yeah. certain themes and motifs and it goes back to those... Where other movies like that, that might have been influenced by Heather's, they don't seem to go as far as Heather's did and commit as much to the tone as, yeah. as Heather's it's, seemed to. Like, Heather's actually is one of the first movies at the time that talks about, that first of all has date rape in it. Yeah. But talks about date rape and AIDS. Like, remember, yeah, that's a joke. Like, yeah. One of his lines is Kurt and Ram had nothing to offer the school but AIDS and date, or AIDS, date, <laughs> date rape, rape and, and AIDS jokes. jokes. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Columbine first occurred, too. Like, uh, Jean and Groffalo was one of the few people they interviewed. I think with celebrities and she was saying how while everything that happened was undeniably tragic and nobody mm-hmm. deserved anything that happened certainly I'm subscribed mm-hmm. to that but what I did like about Gina Garofalo's perspective is that she did say we could all be nicer to each other yeah. and understand where people are coming from and look out for trouble signs you know there might be a way that we can kind of reach them and it's interesting because Jean Garofalo worked with Michael Lehman on The Truth About Cats and Dogs so she's kind of tied indirectly into mm-hmm. this Heather's yeah. you know thread line you know yeah, which was I remember a big movie when it came. Everything that Jillian Garofalo did in the mid nineties seemed to have some sort of like real. Uh, was she in Reality Bites? She was in Reality Bites. Which another like writer, yeah. yeah. You know, there's a lot of ties in. With it's this funny. Stuff. This movie is an eighties movie, but it feels like a nineties movie to me because it's darker. It's 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 about you know kind of the um, darker, more uh, anti-social. Because the JD character really brings out that alternative movement that came in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah, you know, because John Hughes movies, you know, this took John Hughes movie and pushed it all the way to the, you know, it took that took that Judd Nelson character and just pushed it. Yeah. Oh, it took uh, yeah, the yeah. Breakfast Club further. You know, yeah. it's almost like John Hughes was like, you know, like Molly Ringwald's characters are always kind of like, I don't know where I fit in here. And yeah, there was always that. Uh, element, I think it was like uh, in Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's best friend. Yeah, Cameron. Cameron. Yeah, Cameron. Cameron was felt like he couldn't stand up to his parents and stuff. Or even Ferris. Yeah, but they always had a happy ending. Heather <laughs> just takes it to a darker undercurrent. Like, okay, let's take this as far as we can. In high school, there's a cruelty in high school that 
could be addressed a little bit. While JD was trying to make some artistic statement through blowing yeah, up the school. Yeah. That was the big thing. Is like, you know, this is the ultimate. I'm going to write. He had them all sign that petition and they were going to, mm-hmm. it was an ultimate suicide note and they were going to blow each other up and it was going to be, yeah. you know, he thought. Well, he on thrived the, on the chaos. Remember, he yeah. loved that one time. Yeah. Says, this, this is chaos. Yeah, and he, he loved said, it. I love it. He's like, chaos killed the dinosaurs. It is. Did he blow up each school he was at or something? Did I wonder that because remember, right after Heather Chandler dies and Heather and yeah. uh, Veronica's writing the letter, she's like, this is good. She goes, have you done this before? And it just he just says this look on his face, and then it, she never answers, but it goes to the next scene. Yeah. So it's very open to interpretation as to, is that his M.O.? Was he doing these kinds of things? This movie kind of blows up the 80s in a way. Like, it, it, it was released in 88, and three years later, Nirvana, never mind. I think that's when the 90s really began, like, as far as culturally. when and things, Jam. And, and gangster rap and, and all that stuff was really taken off. And this is like a precursor to that where... It's very much an 80s film, but it satirizes the 80s. It's really taking its knives and carving out and yeah. deconstructing the 80s. It's very ahead of its time. It just yeah. so, it was. I love the fashion in it, okay? I have to just say, I love the fashion, <laughs> all the girls, the clothes. and yeah. um, I love Heather Chandler's room. I want that bed, mm-hmm. that circle bed that she has. Yeah. But I just, I mean, uh, the fashion was incredible. And just the, the whole aesthetic of this movie, I loved it. Well, the way it was directed as well, I mean, it had those still shots, you know, especially when they're at mm-hmm. uh, JD's house with his dad on the treadmill, just kind of walking, and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's them. It's it's filmed very stylistically. It's a very stylized movie, yeah. and, and that's what I like about it. Like, it, it, that's what brings, heightens the satire, is the way everything's filmed, and there's repetition of behavior throughout the yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. the same thing. Parents behave the exact same way and they're after, sitting in the exact same seats and after every suicide there's that boardroom with the, the teachers and the yeah. principal and everything and yeah. it's a crazy funeral yeah yeah well, with uh, what's his name a great actor that plays the father that does the funeral uh, um, he was also in Beetlejuice as the uh, one of the pretentious designer of the house oh you're thinking about the, the reverend reverend like that, yeah. that was uh, the guy who played Otho yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so what did you guys, what's your overall impression of the movie? Does it hold up after you've seen it? Like, this is my first viewing. Um, I was blown away by it. I thought this was fantastic. Well, would you expect I'd like anything less than I know, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually did enjoy it. Like, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it again because I thought it was well constructed. I thought mm-hmm. the script was probably its strongest asset, uh, the, actually. The dialogue is amazing. It's really sharply written yeah. dialogue. and The way it's delivered. Yeah, beautifully directed. You know, it's a movie that I want to revisit again and, you know... You know, I tend to like movie act, uh, directors like Wes Anderson that are very, really stylized and almost mm-hmm. cartoonish in a way, like the Coen Brothers too. And I think Michael Lehman had that, maybe not to the height that those guys would take it, like where they went all the way over to a certain aesthetic. He kind of keeps it grounded between John Hughes. It's like John Hughes and David Lynch had a baby, and it was Michael Lehman. Yeah, that's kind it of is. That's a good day. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I really loved the performances. It kind of uh, reminded me of how much I like Winona Ryder re- mm-hmm. watching this. It's just mm-hmm. what a really strong actress. She's enchanting. Yeah, I wish that we would see more of her, actually. Same thing with Christian Slater. I gotta, yeah. We don't see him as often anymore. Well, he's on that show, My, Mr. Robot. When you, I think he won, a, uh, he won like a Golden Globe or something for his role. So he's on a TV show. Mm-hmm. That's, Mr. Robots. Well, good, good. I just glad that he's still out there working. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? With your first, uh... oh, I, I, I actually had watched this last year, but I fell asleep. Did we watch it together? Yeah, we watched it together, and uh, so this is the first time I actually watched it focused. Um, and I really like it. I, I like the humor. Um, I like the deconstruction of the, the, you know, the teenage angst movie of the eighties. You know, John Hughes movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's very stylistic. It's very funny. Um, you can see like a lot of influences, you know, from Mean Girls and other movies. Um, but it actually was, goes a lot further. It, I, like I said, I don't think it could be made today. It would be very controversial. And there's just so many. The world just changed. Mm-hmm. So many. Different no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I guess. A, I mean, this was like 30 years ago now. So I guess an indie film could be made of it, but people are so. Um, people would complain that it's you know the way it's shot and it's like oh it makes it look cool to do suicide it makes it look cool to blow up the school uh that you know they think that there would be a lot of copycats so but i i really enjoyed it for you know i think it's 
definitely a cult classic, and uh, it lives up to that that billing for sure for me. Uh, yeah, certainly. And uh, I have to agree with everything you both of you guys said, um, and. I feel like for me personally, anyone who really knows me, like you guys really know me, you know my style, mm-hmm. you know my preferences, and I feel like anyone who knows me can watch this movie and say, this is very Tony. You know, yeah. like I can see why she likes this. Uh-huh. And I just feel, yeah. I've always connected with this movie. Um, so, I mean, the, the most appropriate way I think I can respond is to say that it's very. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> And it's very much on Blu-ray, you know, like, like I've always said at the end of every podcast, the best way to experience a film, if you can't see it in an actual theater, is to watch it on Blu-ray. And there was a 25th high school reunion edition of Heather's released about, about 10 years ago in 2008. And um, I think they had a lot of different special features and everything. They even had a special edition of the special edition where it was shaped like a yearbook. Yeah, yeah, you should check it out. It's... Uh, it's uh, really cool stuff. Color me impressed. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, a locker. I'm sorry. It's shaped like a locker, mm. like this thing. So a red locker. Uh, it's a it's a green locker. Ah. right there. So I thought it'd be red for Heather Chandler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so definitely check it out. Uh, that version has one Blu-ray and two DVDs included in it. So it looks like it's quite a an extensive edition. So. Well, I think that's yeah. about it for uh, Heather's. Uh, I think we all really mm-hmm. enjoyed revisiting it. And, uh, yeah. Always. Yeah, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, gang. Tony here. Okay, so I could not sleep at night. Literally, I could not sleep at night until I recorded this. There are two very important, pertinent things that I left out of the Heathers podcast, which if you just listened to, you know that I love the movie Heathers and Renona Ryder for that matter. But, okay, so here are the two key things that I forgot to mention during the podcast. Number one, I know that I talked about how much I love the dialogue, and I do. And one of the main reasons why I love the dialogue is the juxtaposition between having these gorgeous teenage girls who are dressed very femininely and just look fantastic. Okay, sorry, my phone went off. I got a text. But from these girls who look fantastic and dress very feminine, um, but then they're on the flip side, they're saying things like, Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. I just love that. I think that that's fantastic, and I identify with that as someone who... I don't really have a potty mouth. I don't have a potty mouth, but I can at sometimes, and I think that that's fun. Number two, can I just say that Heathers came out on Broadway in 2013 with a musical? Okay, so if that doesn't say longevity, I don't know what does. I mean... The Heathers really holds up, so much so that nearly 30 years later, Broadway is honoring them, the movie, by making a musical. I mean, that's pretty rad. Don't you think? I do. I think that was all I had to say. So that's it. I also just want to thank all of you guys for listening to Cinema Wheeler Tay. We have so much fun doing the podcast, and we're so thrilled that you all take the time to listen and to support us. And, um, yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, what's your damage? Poor nuts. Uh, oh. <laughs>